For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. It is series two, episode seven, and we are gearing up over here in the UK for National Fertility Week, which is an awareness week run by Fertility Network, which is the national charity over here in the UK. And I am delighted to see that so many things are going on across the country which is absolutely fantastic for raising awareness and we talk about raising awareness and and why it's so important and why is it so important well because if we have repeated stories around us in society um, which only kind of recognize um, in quotation marks a normal road to building a family then anyone who is not going through that normal road is going to feel isolated and um, pretty shit aren't they so it's about trying to open the eyes around us it's about changing societal norms and making a big splash about it because the only way actually to do that is to get mainstream media to start representing what is actually happening for many millions of people across the UK and the world and to start to educate other people around them too because if it is only about you know supporting those who are actually going through it that's not big enough it has to be wider it has to be bigger it has to be their friends their families their colleagues their employers absolutely everyone so that anyone and anyone anyone and everyone who might be touched by infertility or baby loss um, has an understanding about how to be and how to how to talk about it and normalize it so that's why I am sort of you know beside myself with excitement that last week I was able to announce my involvement with BBC Radio 2's Fertility Week on social media Um, and the response I got when I told you guys what was happening and how 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 excited I was about what they're doing was phenomenal and if you missed that announcement then what is going to happen is that Radio 2 which is the biggest uh, radio station in the country I think they've got between 15 and 16 million listeners 
are going to put a focus on fertility for the whole week. And not only that, they are actually linking up with BBC Five Live on the 29th of October. And when I say linking up, they're actually doing a live link up and the whole Um, The whole thing is a joint collaborative effort. So I have been working with both networks behind the scenes through my role as a consultant for the BBC for this project and as the uh, working as the creative development director for Quid M Productions, who are the people who have made, you know, we have made audio content, which Radio 2 will be broadcasting. So sorry about the the CV going on there, but just so you know where this, this has come from. And if you do hear content going out on Radio 2 and 5 Live, it, where it's come from is the heart. It, it's come from my experience and it's come from all of your experiences, which I listen to all the time, you know, 24-7 every day. I, I, I see stories, I hear stories, I'm in touch with people um, throughout the the global trying to conceive community, the global fertility community online. And that is where this has come from. So I am really thrilled that they've also said I'm allowed to play the audio trail, which is actually out um, at the moment on air. So I'm just going to play that for you here in case you haven't heard it. This is BBC Radio 2's audio trail for their Fertility Week, which starts this Sunday. It's something that affects millions around the world. We want to have a family. Starting in Good Morning Sunday, BBC Radio 2 will mark National Fertility Week. We'll be in conversation with Izzy Judd about her difficult fertility journey to motherhood. Hi, it's Jeremy Vine. We'll hear people's stories of trying to conceive and we'll speak to the experts. So there's a lot of online communities that help. You feel that you are being ignored. Just keep pushing forward. And on Tuesday, I'll be linking up live with Emma Barnett and BBC Radio 5 Live. Yes, we'll be discussing why it's still such a difficult subject to talk about. Fertility Week. Listen all next week on BBC Radio 2. Today was the first time I heard that on on air, which was so exciting. They've been playing it loads and for some some reason I just keep missing it, but (laughs) I just heard it for the first time today and got very excited. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, then do come and have a look at what we covered the topics that they looked at, the people who contributed. I'm going to save everything on my Instagram and my website as well. So it's there as a kind of resource. And what's even more amazing is that the, the BBC have created a resource, a digital resource. They have put together a bespoke web page, which will be bbc.co.uk forward slash fertility, where you're going to be able to go and, and find lots of resources, signposting um, and and just other bits and pieces which are there, which, which other people have made and created and and, um, uploaded onto there. And I'm also, I have to mention my husband because I am ridiculously proud that Simon, despite really being quite private... (laughs) <laughs> really like barely allows me to post a picture of him on Instagram actually agreed to travel to Manchester to go and record our story um audio and visual so that Radio 2 and 5 Live can use that content and get more men 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 boys men <laughs> talking about fertility because it is not just a female issue and I'm so passionate about about that as well and I just can't believe that Simon did agree to do that so I'm thrilled I'm thrilled that they're putting a focus on that as well um and I I, yeah I've seen I've seen the clips I've heard the clips they're they're wonderful and I can't wait for people to hear about that as well so there are so many people who are shining a light on all of this across the country um and do go and do go and get involved go and get engaged um 
hopefully it will just serve to remind you that you are you are not alone you know there are so many people who understand who are there to support you and and who who have the um, experience or the qualifications or both to be able to do so in a really really positive way um, and also don't forget of course there's the fertility show happening at the end of the week and other events so and, and go and check out catanalyst.com as well to have a look at other events that are happening which we've got listed up there so um also just make a note in your diary if you are listening now um that the 29th tuesday the 29th of october we want as many people as possible to be getting involved in this um, bbc content and sharing what we're talking about and trying to get fertility trending online um which i'm so excited about i'm going to be there all day in manchester um just just doing social stuff and um yeah please do get involved i'm of course really proud that this is all happening but really i'm just so proud of everyone who has made it happen and all of the speakers that we worked with to make our content one of which was my amazingly inspiring down-to-earth but incredibly positive guest kate meekin who i am delighted to be able to share with you today um a a wonderful interview that we did um a few actually a couple of months ago now over at Kate's house and they have got an extraordinary story to tell and I really hope that this you guys find this inspiring it's really funny isn't it because obviously we see a lot of each other's lives on Instagram but I haven't actually ever been in it's so so nice that you're here well thank you for having me um and I've been wanting to speak to you actually for ages I think last year I said to you I really want to get you on the podcast and I've taken so long to actually get this thing (laughs) back up and running um because of all the stuff that happens in our lives yeah um so let's start with that let's start with what has actually happened for you so far so far the beginning of the journey from the beginning take us right the way through right so we started trying in 2013 to have a baby after we got married I had a sneaky suspicion there would be a few problems just because of how my periods were but nothing concrete, maybe just a gut feeling that things weren't going to be that easy. And I speak to a lot of people that actually say they have that gut feeling. Yeah, so after a year of trying naturally, I went to the doctors, we did some bog standard NHS testing. Actually, nothing was flagged up at all. And actually, my GP told me to go away and continue trying for another two years. What? Or up to, you should try so that it's two years. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm 33, 32, 33, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's right. But so again, through my own education and my own kind of research, I just thought, no, I think maybe I need to look into this a little bit more. And I realised that when I, for the company I worked for, they covered fertility investigations under the health insurance, which a lot of people I don't think realise Maybe because that's not the kind of conversation you think you want to be having at work. But you don't have to discuss that with your employee. You can just go straight to the um, insurance company. And they said, yeah, we'll cover any fertility investigations. So I made an appointment like that week to go and see um, a consultant at our local hospital. And he diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome straight away. And he was actually furious that the NHS hadn't investigated it further. He couldn't even believe that I'd been told to just go away and carry on trying. Um, So thankfully, we were in quite a good position where, in quite a hopeful position, where I would take some tablets to induce ovulation and hopefully we would get somewhere. 
but like many, Clomid and Letrozole just didn't work for me. And it worked in that I ovulated, but no pregnancy. And after about three or four attempts, we moved to IUI. And again, none of them were successful. And then I think we did a injectable cycle alongside IUI. And I think about the eighth or ninth cycle, I just... Yeah, I just sort of turned to my consultant and just said, I'm done, I can't keep doing this anymore. I'm exhausted, I'm drained, I feel heartbroken every month. Mentally, I'm not in a good place. But he was a bit reluctant to move on to IVF because he just said, I don't know if you necessarily need it. Maybe we need to give it a bit more time. Um, and he said, you know, there's so much more riding on IVF. There's a bigger financial loss. There's a bigger emotional loss. But... I just said, well, I don't really feel like I have a choice. We need to just move forward. So we did. And, you know, we were very, very lucky that we conceived our son first time. And, yeah, it was all amazing. And we couldn't actually believe, having never seen a positive pregnancy test, uh, you know, you just don't ever think you're going to be in that situation. And I had, you know, a blissfully naive pregnancy, you know, absolutely never had any scares or anything. It was just... It was fine, and Austin arrived, and and life was wonderful. And and then when he was eleven months old, I found out I was pregnant naturally, and yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit of a shock. It was a big shock, and um, <laughs> I don't think Phil and I could believe it. But you hear these stories all the time, and I felt like that. I was like, oh god, I'm one of those people, <laughs> the one that oh my friend after seven rounds tried and then fell pregnant naturally, but unfortunately. We went for an early scan. I again, I had a gut feeling something wasn't right, and I said to Phil, I don't, "I don't. This doesn't feel right. I want to go for an early scan." And we did, and unfortunately, I had um, what they call a blighted ovum, so there was a a sac, but nothing in there. And um, we had a bit of an agonising wait where they said, "Because we don't know your periods haven't really come back because I was just stopped breastfeeding, we're going to leave it a week or so, and you come back and we can see if the baby has actually grown." But I knew in my heart that wasn't the case. And literally five days later, on Mother's Day of all days, I started. It was my first Mother's Day. I started bleeding, and I just said to her, "Oh, it's over." And we phoned the EPU and it was a weekend and they said, there's nothing we can do, you need to come back on Monday. And then by the time we got, yeah, went for a scan, they, there was nothing there. And actually it was the first time I encountered uh, a feeling of someone upset me in the health industry because the, we had this scan and we were both sat there and she just turned around and said, there's nothing left. And that was the first thing she said to me. And I was, we were all in a bit of a daze. And it was the first time I'd ever had a health, health professional probably not be that sensitive to it. But again, I was a bit, a bit first situation we were in, I was like, oh, okay. Just didn't really say anything. Um, so yeah, so then, you know, wrongly or rightly, we threw ourselves into frozen embryo transfers because we had three embryos from our fresh cycle. And transferred maybe three or four months later, Again, got a positive test, and then I think the day after the positive test, I started bleeding, and then we had like an agonising week of doing beta tests and watching the levels go down. So then, and then we moved into another one, and again, I got a positive test. Um, no bleeding this time, but then I, when I was going for blood tests, they, the numbers just weren't rising. And then we found ourselves, yeah, one miscarriage and two chemical pregnancies and I think we just thought okay we need to take a bit of a break um 
and then we kind of went away on holiday. It was lovely, came back, transferred our last embryo, and it didn't even implant. It was the first one we'd had that um, didn't even take. And I think I think I was pretty done at that point. Mm. And I think I, I don't know how old Austin was then. Maybe two, two and a bit. So this was last year. Yes. So I just said to Phil, right, we're done. Like we need to just take a, a good long break. And we did. And we said we're going to enjoy the summer. We're going to have a nice Christmas. And we'll 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 start another fresh cycle in the new year. And then, unbeknownst to us, uh, a month later, Phil started getting some bad headaches. And then we found out he had a brain tumor. So cue, you know, fertility and everything going on the back burner. Luckily, one of the first things that was raised to Phil was, have you got any frozen sperm? And or I guess already being in the system of a clinic, they were fantastic. Phil, you know, in between being told he had a brain tumour to having a craniotomy, we froze maybe three sets of, we had an urgent sperm freezing. Phil did it two or three times, which is, I still to this day can't believe he did that. Like, when I think about what he must have been going through, and physically, how he wasn't that well, we had to cancel one of them because he just couldn't even get on the train. Mm. And it kind of seems like a bit of a selfish thing. You know, I by no means was saying, oh, you need to go and do this. But he wanted to, and he was saying, this is, if, if I don't do this, we, we might never have any more children. God, the pressure. I know, and that's why I can't believe he did it. And 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 amazingly, we got you know real good samples as well. And yeah, it was fantastic. And we were told, you know, great, you're done. There was I think three samples that he did, two or three samples, and we could go into the surgery knowing done, can forget about that for now. And that was huge. What happened when you were told about the brain tumor? Because that must have been just a bolt out of the blue. Yeah, it's just one of those moments, isn't it, that you don't ever think you're going to be told. And I don't know, that day, that day will stay with me forever. But, and they always say, because I found out about it first because Phil had been having headaches, he went and had an MRI scan and we were waiting for the results. But we weren't particularly worried because you're not, are you? You're in your 30s, you've had a few headaches, there was no other major symptoms. You're not really thinking, I've got a brain tumour. Um, and so he'd just gone off to get the results on his own. We, we had no idea. Apparently, in high, we'd found out that the consultant had been trying to get hold of him, but for whatever reason hadn't. So he went for that consultation on his own. And I took a phone call. It was just a Wednesday morning, I think. And I just got out of bed and I saw his name come up on the, on the home phone. I was like, hi. And he was like, Kate, they found something. And I was like what and he was like they, they think I've got a brain tumor and this was like just over the phone and and then he's I, I was like are you are you are you joking you know because he does he does have a bit of bants about him and I was like is this is this such a joke and he was and then he just started crying and I was like oh my god I was like where are you and he was like oh he's told me to come home and I was like right do you need to just jump in a cab and he was like no I'm gonna get on the train but can you come and meet me from the station with Austin and they always say that saying, you're only ever one phone call from falling to your knees. And my God, that was that phone call. Oh, and I, I, I just, I, I couldn't breathe. I phoned my mum. I was like, they found something. And we just, we were so in the dark. And because he was on his own, he hadn't asked any of the right questions because you wouldn't, you've just been told. So I was kind of saying to him, well, what's this? And what do we do? And he was just like, I, I don't know. I don't know, Kate. I, I've, I don't know what was just said. And then literally 48 hours later, we were in front of a neurosurgeon in the Shard and he just said, yeah, unfortunately, guys, this is a really extensive brain tumour that's 
across the hemisphere of both sides of your brain and this doesn't look good. The radiology is presenting itself as a glioma, which more than likely will be cancerous. And you just, yeah, it was awful. And like Phil at one point, he turned around to physically be sick. And, and I, had a, I had a cup of tea on the consultant's um, desk and I went, I went to get my hand and I couldn't even lift it. I was shaking so much. And we just left that. We were in tears. We didn't really know what was going on. And we got the train home from London Bridge. And if people had looked at us, I mean, they must have just been thinking, oh, my gosh. But your world is literally thrown upside down. And you kind of move away from this whole fertility world that we're in. And you just start thinking, well, we just need you to be okay. That's the most important thing. You know, we just need you to be okay. And but then it was all a bit of a rush. He was in surgery 10 days later. So we had that week to get everything fertility sorted God. so that he could go into the surgery and kind of relax. And, and also it was heartbreaking because the, the forms we had to sign, there was a chance with the craniotomy that Phil was having was that he wouldn't survive or if he did, that he would have, you know brain issues and it you know where his tumor was located on the frontal lobe that's a lot to do with the physicality of how it would be in his speech and his emotion so you know I was signing papers that would it be okay if Phil didn't make surgery that at some point I could use his sperm in the future to still create our babies if I wanted them you know these were all things they were highlighting to us because they were like it's important that you understand what you're signing because if you don't you won't be able to access this sperm because if he isn't of right of sound mind if he if you and him don't both sign this then you won't be able to access that and they're all things that you think I don't I don't want to think about that right now but you actually have to and you have to be sensible and think okay if this is the situation, what, what do we want to happen? Would I want to have children if he wasn't here? It's such a, it's such a weird situation to be in. That's so scary. I mean, you must have just been yeah. terrified. Yeah, it? it was. It was just one of those moments where you just think, <laughs> I can't believe this is actually happening to us. I, I, I still think it now, because like, life has calmed down a little bit now. And I sometimes do think, did that? Is that still us? Is that you know? Because he's physically doing really well, and sometimes I'm like, is is he got? Is this us? Has he got a brain tumor? Is this our life? You know. So um, he he went into that craniotomy. Is that what it's called? So yeah, craniotomy to debulk some of the tumor, which he he has an in, inoperable tumor because of where it sits on the frontal lobe, and it, you can't go too close because he would lose too much cognitive ability, and. There was, it was a very conservative attempt at debulking because of Phil's age and you want to keep him as healthy as possible and he's got an amazing, amazing surgeon who very much, you know, was conservative in his surgery um, to make sure that Phil would be okay and that we knew that chemotherapy and radiotherapy would be the treatment for it. So, um, so yeah, and thankfully the surgery was a, was a success and the longest five and a half hours of my life and getting that phone call from the surgeon. He came out of surgery about 10 o'clock at night and I raced over to intensive care at 11 p.m. And then I had a bit of a wobble because I've never, I don't know, I've never been in intensive care before. And my mum had warned me, she's a nurse. It's a very scary place to be. It's very bright. There's lots of machines. You know, people are quite unwell. And um, 
it got to a stage where I'd, I'd never experienced that before. So when I first went in and saw him, I was I was not in a good place at all. Even though he was doing really well, I was like, oh, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But you know, he he you know he was amazing. He was home seventy two hours later. I went back in the morning after surgery. He'd got up. They'd walked him around. I mean, it was crazy to think what they'd just done. Opened up his skull. Gosh, and done all of that and unbelievable yeah wasn't it? it was it was it was it was pretty amazing um and he, yeah he was home and 72 hours later and, and then we were waiting for the news and uh, yeah unfortunately the biopsy came back that he had a grade two um, malignant tumor and unfortunately with phil's type of tumor it's it, i say it's not curable it, it's you can you can get to a stage where the treatment can keep it under control but as it stands at the moment, it's something that's likely to come back at some point, and then you just hope you can treat it again. So, um, although we were told that, you kind of are still very hopeful. And actually, in the beginning, we were told to expect grade four, and we were we were ready for that conversation. And when we went in and he said it's grade two, ordinarily that news on itself would be heartbreaking, but for us, we were absolutely thrilled because we were like, "Oh my gosh, this has given us life back again!" and and yeah, we left that appointment so full of hope, and yeah, and then things just happened really quickly again. We started. Phil went straight into radiotherapy in the new year, and we then jumped into an IVF fresh cycle. So I stimmed alongside that, and we yeah we're very lucky that obviously we we had all of Phil's frozen sperm, and we had a really successful round, and we froze seven embryos, and it, life kind of seemed to calm down a little bit again and we felt in a really good position we felt like we covered everything and yeah so then he finished radiotherapy and had a little bit of a break and then he started chemotherapy and then I started the frozen embryo transfer prep and all went well and we transferred two embryos last month and then we found out we were pregnant and we had an early scan and everything looked good and then unfortunately I had a miscarriage at six weeks and um yeah that's kind of where we're at now we're kind of two three weeks post miscarriage and still a little bit in the fog of all of that but we're okay we're we're still very much hopeful for the future of everything really it's a it's with i think everybody's always says to me oh are you okay or are you coping but we are we're we're coping okay it's it's we've been dealt a bit of a shit card <laughs> the last couple it's of years an understatement, <laughs> isn't it? but actually we've so i don't i feel like we've got so much to be grateful for as well you know we have austin which shows us more than ever what an absolute miracle he is here i cannot believe he is actually here when we've been through what we've been through um and yeah, Phil's doing really well in the chemotherapy. We have a scan next week, which will hopefully show, you know, some positive, you know, stability there. And, you know, we'll make a plan to move on with our next embryo transfer. But it, it is all much. And I do worry at some stage if it will all catch up with me. I think when you're in it, you just, you're in it and you've got no choice. Because that's the biggest thing. When Phil was diagnosed, I was, you know, we had a two-year-old. I didn't really have a choice. I couldn't have just not got up every day. And I understand I'm very privileged to be in that situation. But he he was a bit of a lifesaver for both of us, really. You know, I didn't have a choice. I had to get up every day. And and I had to, had to be his mum. And I had to be Phil's wife. And, you know, I say to Phil, 
you know, when everyone else is better, maybe the toll will hit me then, and that's maybe something I'll have to deal with. But um, I feel like because you are so open about what you're going through and you process it so kind of immediately, it to me it sounds like this is this really is a genuine you are coping really well actually yeah I'm quite a pragmatic Um, person as well and I don't feel I feel like the methods everybody's got different methods of coping mine are very much when I'm in the moment the adrenaline's pumping I, I go with it but I'm also not you know ashamed or naive enough to recognize when I need help and I've been offered therapy through you know through Phil's company because Phil's been been seeing a psychologist to deal with his diagnosis I was offered it I've been offered it through my clinic and the miscarriage but I've I've not felt like I've needed it and maybe at some stage that is something I need to tap into and you know I would never I always put up my hand if I felt like I need that help but where I'm at at the moment I don't feel like I need it wrongly or rightly that's just how I feel but it it is right because it's how you feel you know there is there is really no set way that people deal with this stuff and and, you know this is how you deal with it Mm. how do you feel like going through Phil's diagnosis has impacted how you feel about your fertility at first it it really made me really I just thought I don't don't care what happens we've got we're very lucky to have Austin and actually it's just more important because I there was a point where I actually thought I was going to bury my husband before I was 40 and that thought and that scary feeling of it overtakes everything so for me it became a bit secondary and but actually as life has gone on and calmed down and we've both processed what's going on and feel very hopeful for the future it's now made me more determined to have more children I have maybe a bit of an irrational fear of Austin being on his own you know I I I worry that we've just been shown how quickly your life can change and you know Phil has a cancer diagnosis and if anything was to happen to him I and I'm left on my own with Austin and if anything then was to happen to me who does Austin have and I feel this massive urge to provide a unit for him so that he has a sibling or he has his own family unit that god forbid if Phil and I weren't around both of us weren't around he has someone so initially I was like fertility I'm you know that's so far from what we need to worry about right now you know whatever happens happens but now actually once life's calmed down I feel more motivated to to try and have more and even though we've been through so much and even with this last loss and my mum did remind me when I was in A&E and I said to her, I can't do this anymore I can't I said I, I was physically I was scared I, and I was like it's taken away from my son and I didn't know what was happening to me and you're so in that emotive moment of, of panic and I said I can't do this anymore and my mum was like I oh, know okay it's okay don't worry. but it's funny how quickly you start going okay I've, I'm you know I'm coming out the other side of it now and actually I, I do want to go again I do want to do more treatment and I know that's I've had lots of people say oh gosh you know you don't need to do this right now why don't you just focus on Phil or the treatment but actually that gives us hope and that's something both of us want to fight for and continue to fight for yeah I think you've articulated that so well and actually I hadn't thought of it that way that you feel so strongly that you want to provide that family unit I think that's really powerful because we've been we've we've been we've been put in a situation where you realize your own mortality 
and I've realised now that there's no given that Austin that we are going to be around for Austin and there's no greater fear than thinking you leave your children and you leave them on their own that to me is is heartbreaking and and I know he's got other family members and lots of friends and everybody would step in but for me I want him to have if he god forbid if he does have to process losing his dad at a young age I need him to have that sibling support or that support in some capacity that maybe I can't give him and it's that's what fuels me to to carry on really and I think for a lot of people they might say it's a bit selfish and but it, it's it's what it's what keeps me going with it I know you're you've been like a real advocate for speaking up about secondary infertility because it's really seems to be a topic which doesn't get enough kind of airtime mm. really and it's really misunderstood and actually loads of people haven't even heard of the term secondary no, infertility no. and even I sometimes think does it does it apply if you have already been through primary infertility yeah I know I think that yeah and actually I, I'm, I'm finding secondary infertility much harder than my primary infertility maybe because it was an easier process we were very lucky and and I, you know lots of people I've heard lots of people say I would just like to have I'd just like to be lucky enough to have one and I totally get that because I've probably been there and I've probably said that myself. And I remember watching somebody I worked with, um, they had a, a child naturally and then were going through secondary infertility and she'd gone through lots of ectopic pregnancies and really was quite unwell. And I remember looking at her thinking, what are you doing? Just enjoy the child you have, that complete ignorance to it. And then when you find yourself in that situation, you completely understand that that yearning to have a child and it's it's I'm almost insulted sometimes when people say to me oh at least you've got Austin it's like he's not the substitute for that pain he of course he will always be the joy in my life and I feel extremely lucky to have him but he doesn't substitute that pain of losing going through a miscarriage or yearning for more children I think that's where you can come across quite selfish and it's really hard to articulate that and to kind of say I do want more children and yes I appreciate I'm lucky for the child I have but I'm yearning to have more children and that's probably where secondary infertility is so misunderstood but I get it because mm -hmm. I was probably well like I said I used to look at my boss and think what are you doing why are you why are you do why are you, what like for his wife why are you going through all of that you've got a child just enjoy that child mm -hmm. But it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to articulate. Well, I think it's that whole, it just comes back to this idea that actually every journey is so relative yeah. to your own your unique yeah. circumstances. And, and actually, like secondary infertility comes with its own challenges, mm -hmm. doesn't it? I mean, you were telling me just now in the kitchen about how you were going to look at school for Austin mm. while in the midst of having your miscarriage. miscarriage. Yeah, it's a really weird... Yeah, it's a really hard thing to process. We had a school tour for Austin and I felt incredibly lucky and blessed to be there. But I was right in the throes of, of our miscarriage. I was bleeding really heavily. And, you know, I'm sat around with all these other mums and they with their bumps or their newborns because this is the age where everybody's having that second child. And it was just a really complex place to be because, you know, I'm feeling so incredibly grateful to be there that I'm, you know, getting to experience this. But I'm physically losing a baby that I wanted more than anything. And it's a real, it's a real complex emotion. And, and I do understand why people don't understand it. But you're right, until you're in that situation, you, you can't understand it. And I have to appreciate and accept that people who, aren't, who are still patiently waiting for their first might not understand it. But that, and I also need to understand 
And they also need to understand where I'm at and how I'm feeling and why that fuel to keep going is there. It's a, you know, I'm a real advocator for just, you know, you have to just support people in, in their choices in life. And if it's their choice to carry on wanting more children, then that's their choice. You know, it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a case of, you've succeeded which I don't like anyway because we've mm. never succeeded whether you have one child or five child you've never succeeded you know if you know you're in that situation well then you should just be grateful and just stop is mm. it's a it's a real difficult and I know it's a really emotive topic and no but you're right you know and I can I can see that it's quite hard for you to talk about because it's like you're almost waiting for the marriage to come aren't you yeah and and I'm, always, of... I'm always apologetic about it yeah. as well like, oh yeah we're trying to have another one you know mm-hmm. and but it, it, I think this is why I wanted to speak to you because I just think actually going through all of the stuff that you've gone through not just going you know you've been through a lot of loss now as well as a lot of treatment yeah. and also handling the uncertainty and the fear and the the overwhelming feelings that come with a cancer diagnosis and yeah. the brain so I mean you know yeah. you've been through so much yeah. and I just think you know that, that that we shouldn't have to be apologetic no we shouldn't we should and cancer diagnosis aside you know even for all the people that are going through secondary infertility that maybe aren't dealing with extra things you know it's we should be just as supportive for them too it, it creates exactly the same emotions as it did pri- with primary infertility you know, you st- I still, like you say, I'm still anxious. I've still been through loss. I will never enjoy a pregnancy again because of what we've been through. Um, and w- regardless of your situation and what you're battling in other areas of your life, we should still be sensitive to those that are struggling because that's what people are. You know, Austin is, you know, we're so lucky to have him, but we are still battling to have more children wrongly or rightly in 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 other people's eyes but Mm. you can only ever do what's right for you and and for us there's a there's a bigger motivation now to create a family unit but even for those that aren't necessarily facing that you know everybody deserves to have as many children as as they like you know and unfortunately it's not the case for everybody I feel like this is and just to take it back all the way I had a message this morning from someone who got in touch and she was like I'm really really struggling my anxiety is crippling um, and just kind of reaching out for a bit of support. And she's been trying for six months. And it's really hard for someone kind of on the other side to kind of understand that she, this person is going through something really hard for yeah. her. But it's, it's so relative to of course it is. her situation. And it's like when it? you, it's like how if people have, some people have been through 10 rounds of IVF, some people have, some have, some people have tried Clomid. And we do measure the ability to be compassionate to people with how much they've been through, when actually we just need to recognise it's relative. If you've been trying for one month and you get a negative positive, it's heartbreaking. If you've been trying for 10 months, 10 years, you know, I follow so many people who have been through so many different journeys, but it's all relative. Mm. And we just, it's just the compassion that you need. But I think it, I get it. it it's almost like a you know, people want to see a list of what you've been through to give you permission to be yeah. upset about something. But, mm. you know, I, I don't, my CV of fertility is heartbreaking, but it's no more heartbreaking than somebody that's been trying naturally for a few months and, and can't bear to see that negative test. It's, it's just relative, isn't it? That heartbreak is, is different for her than it is for me, but it's her heartbreak. Mm. And I think maybe that's that compassion around not, you know, 
not necessarily needing to see a barrage of treatments to to, to be compassionate about mm. that. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's just not judging, you know. No, exactly. Like trying to take out that judgment and just trying to understand that people who are just trying to have a baby and yeah, actually exactly. it's that shared desire. But um, I want to move on now because another reason I really wanted to talk to you is because of your amazing ability to kind of have this beautiful looking Instagram feed <laughs> and like this gorgeous house and like just look so amazing all the time and you really bring people I think inspiration with your because you co-host your Wednesday We Wear yeah. hashtag with yes. Keely yes. who's been on this podcast before um, and it's brilliant so tell me about that tell me what why is it important to you to kind of put something nice on and like get your nails done or make your house yeah that's the other thing I think as well you have you know I'm aware that my feed is very curated in that way how I like it to be and I do like having my nails done and you know uh like clothes make me feel good but I think um for me as well I even with primary fertility I, I didn't want that to be the basis of my whole life and it's why I have to talk about other stuff on my Instagram. It's why I like to post pictures of our house, of our holidays, of our life, of my nails, because that's what keeps me a little bit sane, is that that's another, I'm not just Kate trying to have another baby. I am Kate who likes to have her nails done. And, and Wednesday we wear just, you know, I came about because I would always put on a nice outfit if I felt pretty shitty or if I'd had bad news. And when you lose a baby, you 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 do really lose yourself physically mentally you you feel shameful like a failure and putting on an outfit doesn't take away all the pain by no means but it's just a baby step in you feeling a little bit more like yourself so you know Wednesday we wear was just came from me always posting outfit posts and I always felt like people would be like oh god she's one minute she's talking about miscarriage and fertility then she's posting a picture about her outfit but that's just my world that's how I process it it's how Fertility can't be the be all and the end all in my world because otherwise I wouldn't deal with things very well. So I just spoke to Keely and said, well, were, of course, she's such a stylish lady. I was like, there's no one else I'd need to host this with other than you. And and we just have a real bonding and a love of, of things like that. And my gosh, she's been through so much as well. And for her, I know it's an outlet. So yeah, it's just a nice positive thing, I hope. And it comes across. And I know, again, it's people might feel like you you know it's heavily curated in this but I, I hope I share the good the bad and the ugly I hope people see that because it isn't all fancy this that and the other but I do accept I have a privileged um life in that I can go shopping and I can do all these things like lots of us can and I don't want it to appear showy or but it's just an outlet for me Mm. And it's again, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you know, you're not going to please everyone. Oh, and then... darling, listen, I can hear you. You're just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you feel really, so apologetic for it. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, this is, I think a lot of people do follow you because they love seeing these lovely pictures. They love yeah. seeing, and they actually are inspired to go out and make themselves feel better. Yeah, and we've always said it's not about spending loads of money no. and going by. Sometimes it's just looking for your wardrobe and thinking, do you know what? I love that dress. I haven't worn it in so long or actually I think I fit into that dress now or because you, you know we all know IVF and what happens to your body and the physicality but sometimes it's just about putting something on that makes you feel nice yeah and... yeah I, I have um, a great friend called Stevie who I might actually get on this podcast like, to talk about this because she is a kind of style and confidence coach oh, and wow. she for a long time she um, was quite apologetic about again like you know I feel like styling is quite you know 
it's a luxury Chalet or you yeah, know worrying yeah. about that and actually the impact that she has and that you have on how you make people feel is massive you know and I hope so yeah I it's, hope it's just a nice thing to do there's there's no other agenda to it mm. it's it, it's not meant to be to make people feel bad or oh gosh I can't I can't look like that or I can't do that it's not about that and I do get so many messages of people saying oh thanks for doing it because you've actually made me put on a nice outfit when I wouldn't and that's all it is about it's just as simple as that it's, it's supposed to be a feel-good thing and also it's a passion of mine mm. and you can only share what's if you're passionate about otherwise your feed won't be authentic and you're you know so for me having my nails done is is, is a nice thing and actually I think when you're when when you know you're in the real crux of a of a of a nightmare, simple bits of self care like that go a long way. They really really do go a long way. Such a long way. And I think the thing is, it's really easy to go down and down and down until you're literally. You know, I am guilty of this of like kind of rolling out of bed and like pulling on my tracky bums and like shoving my hair up and yeah. up, you know, and like not doing anything with it and not putting any makeup on and. And actually, I know the difference it makes feel, to me yeah. if I put a bit of care into how I'm feeling that day and put something nice on. And it really does help when you see a feed like yours where you go, right, today I'm wearing this. Yeah. And I, think, I did it during Phil's radiotherapy. I used to rock up and <laughs> go with him most days. I'd wear like leather skirts, leather <laughs> trousers, sparkly tops. And I'm sure most people were like... But I was like, well, you know what? I, I want I want this to be a positive experience and fashion's my thing. And I'd like to think even if I was going through something, I've, I, you know, I've been known to rock up to fertility appointments in full glam. It's just, I think <laughs> I that's it. what you... My last transfer, I had a lovely dress on and I was all, you know, I, I was... I was. I think that's just sometimes how you've got to be or how that's for me gets me through it because it just makes you feel a little bit better doesn't it but I do love those days where you don't do anything as well you just <laughs> roll out of bed and oh it's all balanced oh it is it's all balanced it's all but balanced. yeah I hope it's I hope it comes across in how it's meant to be it definitely I mean it definitely does it absolutely Good. does um okay so finally I think I'd love to hear what would you what would you say to someone who's listening to this and kind of really relating to all the stuff that you're going through, maybe going through secondary infertility or, you know, experiencing loss and just wondering how they're going to get through it? Like, what would your kind of advice be? It's hard because it's a really individual thing and what works for me won't necessarily work for someone else. But from my perspective, I've always been extremely hopeful. I've always tried to be positive in any situation that I'm in even when I've really felt not that it, you know, in the depths of despair, I've just always tried to just stay with that glimmer of hope and it's all about baby steps. But I know that's not for everybody. And there's also nothing wrong with surrendering to, to feeling absolutely awful. You know, in the early days of Phil's diagnosis, gosh, yeah, there were some awful days where I didn't stop crying and my anxiety was through the roof, but it's baby steps. Phil said to me, but have your nails done, get your nail lady round. And I did. And it was a little thing that just was like, okay, I feel a little bit like me now. I feel like I can face this. And it is, I've just always remained hopeful. And I think if you can just nurture yourself a little bit, you find the strength to just put one foot in front of the other and each day gets a little bit better. And I always say, we were told six months ago that Phil had an incurable brain tumour that possibly was a grade four. You can't really get any darker than that. But actually, 
even in the weeks after that worst news that we'd ever received, you, your brain starts to process things in time and you start learning to live with things and it just you just need to give yourself that time. But I know for lots of people, because I have people say to me all the time, but I don't have that hope anymore or I can't. And it's really hard. And all I say is just baby steps. Mm. Do one thing that might make you be able to put one foot in front of the other that day and maybe the next day you can put two feet in front. And it just becomes a little bit easier each day. You know, there's, we, we couldn't be told anything worse than what we've been told. Yeah, I hope that other people realise there is a way that you carry on living with that. Um, and that's all, all you can do because I think you don't really understand your resilience until you're in that situation. Everyone always says to me, oh, I don't know how I'd cope. You would cope. Everybody would cope because you do. How you get to that point is different for everybody. But for me, it's just about being hopeful and a bit of self-care and taking one step at a time. And that gets me where I need to be. But surrendering to those days as well, there's nothing wrong with that. I think people think if they you know, spend a day struggling with their anxiety or they can't get out of bed that that too will pass that day is that day and maybe tomorrow will be another day it's very easy to kind of get into that mindset of I can't get myself out of this well maybe in that moment you're not supposed to get yourself out of it maybe that moment is meant to be I always believe I'm where I should be so it's not always been a great place (laughs) But I think I'm where I should be and I'm very hopeful, hopeful for the future of Phil, hopeful that we will have another baby and I believe where we are is where we are and it's where we should be right now and that's all I can, it's all I can be really. Thank you so much Kate for your gorgeous honesty and openness and for your your positivity online as well do go and find kate mrs k meeks on instagram beautiful feed gorgeous inspirational stylish lady um going through a, a, a bloody difficult time and we just i just want to send the whole family the whole meekin family lots of love and wishing anyone listening today having a having a difficult day today or a hard time in general gearing up for treatment wherever you are in your journey to becoming a parent or maybe you're listening to support people which I love hearing about so if that's you please do get in touch um this is the sort of story that I know really can help inspire people and make them feel less alone as well so do do get sharing and please do leave me a review online I I just cannot tell you what it what it how how motivational that is when I see a a glowing review um to say that it has helped you on iTunes then that makes my day but not only does it make my day it means that other people can find this and find the support so the more reviews that are on there the better the better equipped um people are going to be because they're gonna they're gonna be signposted to the resources and the support that is out there so Do get involved on October the 29th and come and find me on social media. This is Alice Rose. I am there for you. I am here for you and get in touch and tell me how you are. Take very good care and I'll see you soon.